Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name is Chris. It's good to be with you in God's house today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be looking at beginning in verses 14 through 21. I'm going to read and then we'll pray and then we're just going to jump in and see what, what the Lord has for us today. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, God, for uh, this look into the heart of um, what you've come to do for the world and for us. We pray that you would help us today to receive something from you, God, as we sit together, as we meditate together upon the Bible, upon truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Context clues are really important when you're reading anything, but specifically the Bible and when a passage begins with then, it's always important to, to look backward and see what, what just happened, what, what was going on to link what we're reading here to what had just happened before. So then is actually a really important context clue. And the, the, the words immediately preceding our passage today, Jesus uh, was in the wilderness. He was being tempted by the devil. And he spent 40 days there with no food or drink, and he was tempted in three fundamental areas, um, shortcuts, relative to provision and scarcity. Um, the devil said, if you're hungry, just turn these rocks uh, into food. So it was like getting your needs met in your own way versus in God's way. Uh, secondly, it was shortcuts to significance without sacrifice. Um, just bow down here and you won't have to go to the cross. And so Jesus was fundamentally tempted with um, getting the, the end game without the sacrifice, without the suffering. And then thirdly, it was a, a temptation regarding recklessness, right? Like jump, just jump. God will, God will catch you. And so Jesus was experiencing this uh, visceral temptation for a long period of time. And I think that as you live your life, as we live our lives, we probably would be best uh, served to think about temptation as it comes to our life. Uh, through the lens of what happens uh, with Jesus. Um, some of us come into this room today struggling with a sense of scarcity. I don't have enough. I don't have enough love. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough money. Um, a sense of feeling like we just don't have enough. And I think that the last um, two and a half years of pandemic have just probably only made that worse for so many people. Just feeling like everything is just squeezed and um, a lot of you come into this room probably today feeling really, really tempted in the arena of scarcity. So what happens when we're tempted 
with scarcity, we oftentimes become very self-preservation oriented, hiding and clutching and hoarding, you know, um, whether it's our time, our energy, our love, uh, we just think, I don't know if I have enough. I think of that story of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and, you know, one kid had some fish and some bread, but, you know, other people brought their food that day. They just hid it because they thought there ain't enough for me and you, so I'm going to keep what's mine. Maybe that's where you are right now. You're not alone in that. Jesus was tempted in the same way. Maybe there's a road toward faithfulness and you're thinking, man, the cost is just so great. I don't know if I can endure it. Maybe there's a shortcut to feeling better, to being better. Jesus was tempted in the same way. And maybe you're just thinking, maybe I should just jump, do something reckless. You know, recklessness doesn't just come out of nowhere. Oftentimes it comes out of a sense of feeling trapped and feeling overwhelmed and thinking, well, I'm just going to go a lot of the really dumb stuff we do in our lives is what we do in response to pressure and we just don't know what else to do. Jesus has been there too. So I think as we face the temptations in our own life, it's really important for us to know that Jesus has been there first and that he gives us a sense of his presence. So let's put this slide up. I think what we see in this text is that Jesus comes back from the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. So he didn't face those temptations that I just named alone. He faced them with the Holy Spirit. And you, as you follow Jesus, will not face temptation alone You'll face it with the Holy Spirit. And I think there are four postures that we can adopt as we face temptation. And, and I just want to say the longer you live, the more subtle your temptations will probably be. You know, for some of us, we think like, my, I'm being tempted, like, don't drink too much. Don't eat too much. Don't, you know, uh, consume internet pornography. Don't do those things. And those are really significant temptations. And yet, self-pity is also a temptation. Shortcuts to getting what you want, that's also a temptation. Things that might not be called out, you know, in church, uh, at least at first glance, those are also temptations. And so maybe today you're, you're struggling like with, with visceral appetite-driven temptation, but maybe your temptations are a little more subtle. Um, I believe that there are things that we can learn from Jesus that will help us face the struggles of life. So I want you to hold in your heart whatever your temptation is, where the pressure point is, and then let's just look at these postures. Um, you're not doomed to succumb to temptation when you face it. It's not a foregone conclusion that you're going to fall into temptation. Um, maybe you're being tempted today with self-preservation or self-pity. It's not an inevitability that you'll fall into that temptation, that you'll succumb. The Holy Spirit helps us. The second posture, I think, is that we're invited to make the, the presence of the Spirit known, to ask the Holy Spirit to be known in the midst of temptation. Too often we live, especially when we're in struggle, as if it's all about us, as if we have to do it all on our own strength. And there's a kind of like white knuckle dynamic that can emerge. And I believe that we're invited by watching Jesus to recognize that the Holy Spirit is present and he wants us to be aware of his presence in the middle of temptation. And the third posture is kind of connected to that. Um, God alone can give us an ability to see beyond the moment into the big picture. There have been times in the last number of months where I've felt tempted um, to, to sort of collapse into a tunnel vision. And, you know, when the disciples were rowing on that lake and Jesus was not with them but walking out to them, they, they failed to recognize Jesus because the struggle was so big that it caused their vision to get like this really small. And maybe that's where you are today. One of the things I think the Lord asks us to adopt as a posture in temptation is, Holy Spirit, help me to see the big picture. The, the big picture oftentimes helps us to see that what we're going through 
is not the only thing happening, that there is a larger story around us. And that sometimes anchors us in the middle of difficulty. And the last posture, I think, is we take these small, concrete steps of faith, even when we feel kind of weak or compromised. So Jesus did all of these things, and I think he invites us to do the same. So all that from the word then. He leaves the wilderness, he goes to his hometown, and you know, the problem with hometowns is everybody thinks they know you in your hometown. You know, the Bible, um, Jesus himself said a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So he goes back to Nazareth, full of the Holy Spirit, probably pretty hungry, um, a little bit weak in his body, and he goes into the synagogue where everybody thinks they know him. You know, like, that's Jesus. Like, we grew up, we saw him, um, we know that guy. And it's his turn to read and to teach in the synagogue. And the way that they did it was they would hand you a scroll. And uh, the preaching plan was not dissimilar to our preaching plan. It, it, it was probably already preordained. And the, the, today was the day for Isaiah. And they handed Jesus the scroll. And, and custom in the Jewish world, you, you would stand to read and then you would sit down and you would teach sitting down. So when Jesus sits and every eye is looking at him, like that was normal. That part was normal. But his sermon wasn't normal. He, he like preaches a one-sentence sermon. I, I think preachers like us could learn a thing or two from Jesus, you know? Um, leave them wanting more rather than wishing you did, you did a little less. Um, he preaches a one-sentence sermon. He says, today, these things have been fulfilled in your hearing. And, and here's what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, this is what I've come to do. Here's what I want to invite you to do today. I want to invite you to hear those words of Jesus in two ways. On one hand, Jesus has come to, to pronounce freedom to those who are actually in captive. This Faith and Justice Night is, is really important because um, Atlanta is one of the biggest trafficking cities in the world. More, more humans are trafficked through this city than almost anywhere. And we need to know that there are young women who have been trafficked in places like Vine City and all over our city. People brought from other parts of the world and put into subjected forms of sex slavery in our city. We also need to know that um, that matters to Jesus that you may feel that that reality is removed from your day-to-day. -day. Now, I would argue that if you're struggling with internet pornography, it's not as removed from your reality as you might think. Because what we do in that world is we participate in the subjugation and the objectification of human beings because we consume and we think it's disconnected from the reality of actual people's lives, like girls with moms and, and dads people struggling with, with poverty and a loss of their own freedom and volition. And so there's a real sense in which we need to hear Jesus say today, I came because I care about people who are being subjected to slavery. People who experience poverty. Jesus cares. He has come to say something to those systems of injustice. And at the same time, he's come to say something to you. See, one of the dangers that we experience when we read the Bible is if the Bible's always for somebody else and not for you, then you can sort of like put your arm and make it at arm's length and think, well, this is about activism. 
And if the Bible's always for you and never for somebody else, and you can just think this is just about me and my own feelings, and it's not about other people. And yet a mature reading of the Bible says this is about both those outside you and about you. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to hear Jesus. What does Jesus have to say to you and to the whole world? And maybe one of the most courageous things we can do is to invite this text and this word from Jesus to come really close to us and to, to say something to us. Because I believe that Jesus has something to say to you, to your experience of life right now, as well as something to say to the whole world. So four things I'm going to say to you about what Jesus says in these very short verses. Number one, because Jesus is full of power, he is able to empower. Where do you need the power of Jesus? See, I think that too often as Christians in the West, our faith becomes like a thinking thing, a cerebral thing. And we think, well, if I know all the right answers, if I, if I think about things the right way, if I can um, understand faith, then maybe that's what this is about. And I think that what we see here from Jesus is that he comes back from the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Spirit and God's able to empower him. And because you follow Jesus, I believe that Jesus wants you to be an empowered person, that you would find the life of God flowing into your life that would wake you up and make you a person who experiences power. So where do you need his power today? Where do you need to break out of the, the sort of cyclical thinking in your brain and experience the help of God, the empowering presence of God? Maybe some of us haven't even asked that question in a long time. Maybe you've just thought, this is just about me kind of getting by and doing the best I can. Because Jesus is empowered, he wants to empower you. He wants us to be quickened. He wants us to be alive. And I believe that he wants you to become aware of his presence. The Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism in, in the wilderness was a kind of... Um, tangible experience of God's presence. And I think that for you and me to be aware of the empowering presence of God, we need to actually put ourselves in some spaces to where we become aware of the presence of God. This is why singing together and being together in worship and in corporate worship is so important. This is why being devoted to God in your private personal life is so important because we need to recognize God's presence, become sensitized to God's presence. You're not just a thinking thing. God wants to animate your heart, and I believe he wants us to become aware of his presence. I was talking to somebody on the, on the front row after the first service who came to one of our, our Wednesday night services and um, was not in any way connected to God. And he, he said to me with tears in his eyes, I, I felt something of the presence of God, and it's changing my whole life, and I don't even really know what this is. I'm not, I wasn't raised in a religious space. I don't know. But I feel something. God wants us to become aware of his powerful presence. And to do that, we have to actually put ourselves in some environments where we might experience that. So where do you need his power? The second thing I think we see or are invited to see in this text is Jesus has come to set us free from things that capture us. So there's the external, like being literally captured. And then there's the places in your own life where you feel some captivity. Places where you're less than free. Where are you less than free? And maybe these are not things you feel comfortable saying out loud. I mean, a lot of times the bondages of our lives um, are hard to name because we feel embarrassed about places where we're not free. So where are you less than free? Where does Jesus have something good to say to you around freedom? 
And see, before we can hear the good thing Jesus says, we have to sometimes become aware and, and brave enough to name, this is where I'm less than free. Where are you less than free? It's my belief that Jesus has something to say to the places in your life where you're less than free. But are you willing to admit it? And for me, at least, it's not just admitting it to God. I think this is one of, our, uh, one of the shadow places of, of our Protestantism is that we sometimes think we only need to ever just tell things to God. And the truth of the matter is we also need to name these places of captivity to trusted people in our lives. And if you have those people, it's good to name it. This is something that my, my wife and I work on is how do we share the places where we feel less than free um, through the prayer of examine? Um, I was on, on a Zoom call with my spiritual director this week naming the places where I felt less than free. God knows, do you know? Jesus has come to pronounce freedom. But before we can be free, we have to name the captivity, the places where we're not free. And maybe some of us have stopped asking for help or uh, maybe you've never known you could ask for help. Maybe you're discouraged that he wouldn't help. I would say we need to give it a try. And sometimes by going into some trusted conversations and naming the places of captivity in us to other people, we get it out into an accountable place where we can begin to see the Lord work and depend on him. So what has a hold of you right now? Jesus has something to say about that. He wants to meet you there. See, one of the things that I'm aware of in the Gospels is Jesus is always asking these pesky questions like, do you want to be made well? What do you want me to do for you? What do you desire? He's always getting at these deeper questions of like, do you really want this? And I think he's asking us those same questions. And so where are you less than free? The third thing I think Jesus is inviting us to see is that he has come to promote healing and recovery. So not only does he want to set us free, he wants to work some restoration in us. And some of us right now are in desperate need of some restoration. And I'm just going to say this. The places in your life where you need healing and restoration will never occur unless you disrupt your status quo. Like if you keep doing all the same things, living as reactively as you've always lived, then God's heart for restoration and healing will, will have a limited impact on you. You've got to actually take space to cooperate with God to give it time. See, we're in such a hurry these days. We want our hurts to be healed like that. We want our pains to be healed like that. And yet oftentimes, I would say almost all the time, the healing that God longs to bring will come to the degree that we give space for that healing to occur. And God's not in a hurry, unfortunately. And hurts don't oftentimes or rarely ever uh, get healed to the point that we forget that they were there. A number of years ago, I um, tore my knee up in Colorado and I uh, had to have surgery. I ignored surgery for like 10 months because, you know, I'm an idiot and it got worse. And then I had surgery and um, I can now do all the things I used to do. But if things are going to get weird, it's always going to get weird over there where this leg is. Um, you'll always walk with a limp, as they say. And so the healing that God works in our life is not a kind of magic wand healing. It's oftentimes a healing where we limp forward with God and we're aware that we will be with him and that one day he will heal all of our hurts. And today we get to give him the space to meet us in the shadowlands. 
and work restoration here, but it's the kind of restoration that sometimes carries a limp with it. Where do you need the Lord to work restoration, and where do you need to maybe give him some space to do that? Sabbath keeping is a really important part of this. Learning to be silent, to have some solitude in your life is a really important space, especially if you don't tend to take that space. I believe the Lord wants to speak words of, this is where I want to work, some restoration, and I think he wants you to cooperate with him. And the fourth thing that Jesus has come to say to us is he's come to extend favor and blessing. What kind of life would you live if you knew you were loved and favored? What kind of life would you live if in the midst of the current situation that you're in, you were aware that God wanted to speak a word of the year and the time of his favor over you, his blessing over you? See, I believe that the Lord wants us to become the kinds of people who can hold both our brokenness and our belovedness together. You're just not one or the other. You're not your worst word or your worst action. You're both broken and beloved. And Jesus has come to tell you that. And I think in my own heart, like, what would life be like if I experienced the jubilee of God, the freedom of God, the love of God in the midst of all the complexity and the pain and the brokenness? See, that's real life. So where do we need to hear that we're loved? It strikes me that before Jesus ever did anything, he heard that he was loved. Before he ever preached a sermon or performed a miracle, he heard a voice from heaven at his baptism say, you're my son, the beloved. And I believe the Lord wants you to hear that you are loved and a mess. Can you hold those things together? I think he can. So this is what Jesus has come to say to the world. And to just put a fine point on it, fundamentally, this is what Jesus has come to say to you. Can you hear Jesus? Where do you need to hear Jesus? So here's what we're going to do, because my sermons are just getting shorter and shorter. Um, So what that does is it gives us an opportunity to be quiet and still, which is terrifying. Some of you are like, longer. Jesus sermon, one sentence. So we're, we're going short here as much as we can. So here's what we're going to do right in the seats. We're going to keep these slides up, and we're just going to have a few moments, maybe even a couple of minutes of excruciating quiet. And we're going to ask Jesus, where do you, where do you want me to see something? Where do I need something from you? And I want to encourage you to do some meditative reflection, some real reflection, and be as honest as you can with God in your heart about what you need from him. And I have found that the more specific I can be, the more aware I am of his need to come close to me. So we're just going to spend a few moments in quiet meditating upon these four ideas. Let it come close to your heart. And then we'll read, we'll pray, we'll come to communion. But first we're going to be still and be quiet just here in this space asking the Lord to speak to us.
we're able to stand together. When you read your Bibles, especially in the book of Psalms, um, there's a word that regularly appears in the, in the margin between chunks of text. It's a Hebrew word that we don't really have a great translation for, Selah, S-E-L-A-H. And the best guess that we have is that it means something like, stop and calmly think of this. And I just want to say that what we just did in three minutes is the very heart of the spiritual life. Because if we just go from information to information and we never stop and calmly think of this, we won't be transformed. And y'all, I just want to say that if information could change us and transform us, we would all be totally transformed because we have more access to information than we ever have. So many books, so many podcasts. Your job is to Selah. Your job is to hear and then stop and calmly think of this. Ponder. Mary did it. David did it. I don't do it enough. You probably don't either. So probably we're going to start learning to spend a little bit more time in silence in church so that it can help you learn how to be silent at home. Henry now and in his little book, The Way of the Heart, which is a deeply alarming book. Um, it's like the most distressing 90 pages because it's about this. And he said, when I, learned, when I first started to be quiet, it was as if monkeys climbed up into the top of the tree and started. Maybe you felt the monkeys. It, you're, in, you're in great company. But we can learn to Selah if we want to. Father, I pray for my friends. God, we come to you as fellow strugglers along the way and we name as best as we are able the thing that we need, the, the place where we long for you to come close to us, Jesus. And right here, right now, as best as we're able, we, we thank you for, the, for these big four things you've come to do for the world and for us and we pray that you would come and meet us right, right where we are and make this come as close to us, God, as we're able to stand. God, we also confess our, our, our brokenness, our sin to you, that we're both broken and beloved, Lord. So with that in mind, we, we ask you for your forgiveness, for your mercy, for your grace in the spaces where we desperately need it. Help us to become more and more aware of our brokenness and our belovedness. I just speak God's kindness over you. I just declare the nearness of Jesus. You're loved. You're forgiven. Receive the gift of his love, his forgiveness now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.